Good morning. Good to see everybody today. Glad you made it out in the rain. I know that sometimes uh, that can be prohibitive for some folks, uh, but we're just going ahead and worship the Lord this morning, and we're so uh, privileged to be able to come into his house and worship him. I want to make you aware of one thing that's not in your bulletin uh, before I read a text this morning. On March the 28th, that's a Thursday evening at 6 p.m., uh, we will have a Seder meal here, okay? A combination uh, event between the First Baptist Church and Watershed uh, School. And uh, it, during that, I don't, for those of you who are not familiar with the Seder meal, it, it's basically the observance of a Passover-style meal. And so what we'll do is we'll take the elements that would have been in a typical uh, Passover meal, uh, that say a, a Jewish family would observe and we'll look at that meal from a Christian perspective and so what we would like to do is we'd like to invite members of our church family to come and host tables and you will sit at a table and a family from Watershed School will be invited to come to that now now last year when they had or this this past uh, year when we had uh, a special school event where there was a, a play that was put on. It took two nights to get everybody in here, okay? And there was about 250 to 300 people in this room during that, that play that they had. So for now, we're just going to look at the Thursday night, but if it looks like the turnout between the church and the school is gonna be larger, then we may need to do two nights, okay? But for now, put on your calendar March 28th and, and plan to attend that. And if you, if you are going to attend it, would you please let Judy White know? You can call her at the office. Judy, they can call you at the office and you can write their name down. And that way we'll know and we can be prepared and try to make sure that we can house everybody for that. Well, I'd like to share a text with you this morning. It's coming out of Hebrews uh, chapter 11. Uh, chapter 11, known as the faith chapter. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive, seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born all, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. And these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now, now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for he has prepared a city for them. Father, we thank you that you have prepared a city for those who trust in Jesus Christ. Well, Lord Jesus, you, you said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so, Lord, we trust you in these things, just as we trust you for salvation, knowing that you died on the cross to pay for our sins. And if we, we put you first and foremost in our hearts and minds and follow after you with a whole heart, trusting you with all that we are, Lord, that you forgive us our sins, that we might come into your family. And so, Lord, as we think about uh, our, the, our position here on the earth, knowing, Lord, that we're here for a reason, still we're like strangers in a foreign land. And, Lord, we so look one day to being with you in the place that you've prepared. Lord, help us to always remember that we are citizens of heaven first. Father, help us to live our lives like that so that we honor you throughout our days. Now, Father, we come before you seeking to honor you in praise and worship. And Father, might you receive our praise as we bring it in spirit and in truth. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, when everything around me is you put your finger up and go, he won't. He <laughs> won't. With determination. Here we go. He, he won't. I've still got joy in chaos. I've got peace that makes no sense. So I won't be going under. I'm not held by my own strength. it. He won't. He won't fail. He won't fail. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me Christ is my firm foundation. Sing it to Jesus. The rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus. Because he's never let me down. He's faithful through Generations. So why would he fail now? He won't. You're telling that devil. <laughs> Guess what? He won't. He won't fail. He won't fail. He won't. 
Amen. Father, thank you so much that we know you will not fail us ever. Amen. That's what I say, babe. So you need to go around and see at least four of your wonderful friends and new friends and tell them he won't fail me. How about you? Good morning, everyone. If y'all could go ahead and start making your way back to your seats, please. I just have a couple of announcements this morning. First off, I'd like to say a huge welcome here to FBC Godly. My name is Tori Connell. I have the pleasure of being the student minister here, and it's great to see y'all's faces every Sunday morning. I love coming here to worship with y'all. Um, I just have a couple of announcements. First off, uh, I know today's a big day because we got the Super Bowl. I'm sorry the Cowboys are not playing in it. I'm sorry. Okay. But I have planned an amazing Super Bowl party for tonight from 530 to 9. We would love for y'all to join us. It is open invitation to everyone here. Um, we would just love for y'all to come have a fun time, a place to gather together in fellowship. I promise you there will be food. But I'm also asking you if you do come to also bring a little food. Uh, so we have plenty of food. But it's going to be a blast. Uh, there will be some games we'll be playing. It's just going to be a fun time to hang out, have some fun, watch the big game. Um, another announcement, summer camp registration is live for all of y'all who have students in 6th through 12th grade. The cost is $335, and registration will close on March 10th. I'm super excited to see what God does at camp. We had 10 amazing students go last year and all of their lives were changed in one way or another. I promise you, it is the best investment you can make for your student. Uh, and then in any other way you want to get plugged in here at FBC Godly, we'd love for y'all to join us. We truly believe that the best way to grow is when you're in community doing life with other people. And so if you open your bulletin to the back page, you will see plenty of ways in which you can uh, find a group 
um, or just some sort of ministry opportunity that is going on in which you can join us. We would love to have you included in our family here. If y'all go ahead and stand with your FBC family and we'll continue worshiping God. Thank you all so much for being here today. Um, yes. Who? Happy birthday. I think we need a little happy birthday. Y'all ready? Yes. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Helen. Happy birthday to you. That's a blessing. She's a blessing to us. Hey, um, I don't know if you all realize, and I need you to realize, how many hours people that are not on staff spend here during the week getting ready. Uh, you've noticed that we've had some issues with our projectors, and it, it's not projector, it's the computer, uh, which is dying. And uh, we have wonderful people. I need to mention the Sensels, Roger and Francis, and Becky, and working so hard. And you guys, it's stressful. You know, I know if it if Becky gets here and she gets here early on Sunday morning and try to get it all done, it's not working. She's in tears. And I'm like, no, Becky, it's okay. It's okay. God planned it this way. We're going to the hymnal. It's all right. Okay? So please, please thank you so much, and please thank them in person. They are wonderful, dear, dear people. And realize now that our computer is gone. It's, it's on its last legs. Francis has Band-Aids on it up there to last this morning. But we're going to have to have a new one. If you would like to help, just put a new computer on your thing, and that would be great. You are here, moving in. I worship you, I worship you, you are here, working in this place, I worship you, I worship you, you are here, moving in our midst, I worship you, I worship I worship you, you are way. 
let's hear it. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That is who you are. this morning to have Heather up here. Her mama, Debbie, what a great name, is down here. Make sure you meet her before you leave today. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that Till I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so close like no other 
I've known you as a father, I've known you as a friend, and I have lived in the goodness of we come to you now at this point in the service where we offer our offerings help us Lord to remember that everything that we have is yours Lord the blessings of every day the blessings of every part of our lives we thank you Lord we thank you Lord for your goodness to us you ask us only to return a part Lord we thank you for all that you give us in Jesus name we pray amen
good. That's Children's Church, if you didn't hear me. Thank you. Well, for any of you who've had opportunity to travel to other countries, it doesn't take much for us to understand why people want to come to America. You know, Lisa and I do some traveling and have traveled in different places in the world, as I'm sure some of you have. And, you know, there are always some things and special places that we remember, things that we find special to a particular place. There is always something special about coming back home. Uh, America is unique. America is special. Uh, the freedoms that we have here, uh, the beauty of the place we live, I was talking with one of our members in their home this past week uh, that moved down from Virginia recently. And they were talking about how friendly the people are in our community and, and, and in, the, in the place. And, you know, Texas is sort of its own special little country. And uh, it's sort of a, a running joke. Uh, sometimes when we go overseas and meet other people, we tell them we're, we're from the country of Texas. Uh, and just to show you uh, how far a, uh, a hick Texan accent will get you, we were in Dubai, uh, I guess a couple years ago, and we had gone to a food court because we wanted to just eat some regular food. And I was standing there uh, by McDonald's, and there was a lady in front of me in a hijab. Uh, it wasn't a full hijab. I mean, her face was, you could see her face. And so after about 15 minutes of waiting I just looked over at her and I said boy it's taking forever isn't it and she says are you from Texas <laughs> I said well as a matter of fact I am from Texas so yeah uh, our reputation uh, goes far and wide but you know though we are citizens of the United States Still, it is like, as Christians, we're strangers. We're strangers uh, waiting our home uh, that Abraham talked about, uh, the writer of Hebrews talked about, another country, a heavenly country. For first and foremost, our citizenship is in heaven if we really are Christians. And so I've titled the message today, Citizens of Heaven, are you a citizen of heaven? And what does it mean to be one? What does it mean to look like and to, to sound like a citizen of heaven? In our text today, Paul's going to remind the believers at Philippi of their heavenly citizenship. And he's going to warn them of those that are in the church or maybe associated with the church in some way that are only pretenders. Now, they might tell you that they're a citizen of heaven, but in reality, they're not. If you have your Bible, look at Philippians 3. Philippians 3, and we're going to begin reading in verse 17. Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, and who set their mind on earthly things. 
For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body uh, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even subdue all things to himself. So Paul is teaching and has taught there uh, that the life you live reveals your true citizenship as one either marked by a sinful world or one who has been marked by the Savior. Sealed by the Spirit, marked by the Savior of heaven. For in Paul's day, there were those in the Philippian church who claimed to be citizens of heaven. But in reality, Paul will say they're enemies of the cross. That's pretty stern, isn't it? And it makes you wonder, what's the deal? And what's he talking about? One of the things that kind of stands out to me is that he says uh, he's saying these things through his tears. And it's heartfelt. It's not just mere words. He really is suffering in anguish. And part of the reason why is he knows the true destination of someone who's not a follower of Christ. He identifies them not in a judgmental sort of way, but with a broken heart. For he knows that those without genuine faith in Christ are on the broad road of destruction that leads to a place called hell. After all, remember, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he was zealous in his faith, and he would have told you he was on his way to heaven. The problem was he didn't know Jesus. And of course, you know that the scriptures say, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is the only way. And without him, we're all hopelessly lost. So Paul is hurting over the fact that some associated with the church are actually on the road to destruction. Yet at the same time, he's not going to sit idly by and watch these pretenders lead other people in the church away from the cause of Christ. And so who were these folks? A theologian, William Barclay, indicates that they were most likely either those known as the Gnostics or those who distorted the principle of Christian liberty. Now, a Gnostic was someone who believed that all matter, uh, anything uh, physical or tangible, anything made out of matter, are considered to be matter, those things were evil. And so therefore, since your body is made out of matter, some type of matter, uh, it's evil. And so what they would say is the things, the spiritual unseen part of the world, the spiritual unseen part of your life, your spirit, that is good. But anything that's physical or made out of something is evil. So therefore, their, their reckoning went something like this. Your body one day is going to die. And so, therefore, while you're in your body, you can do whatever you want to do. Because after your body's gone, only the spirit will remain, and that's good. And you'll be okay. Now, you can see the license that would give someone to do whatever they want to do, right? Now, the other uh, uh, side of the coin, he says, are those who distort Christian liberty. And you hear, hear someone say, well, I have certain freedoms in Christ. 
I'm not bound by the law anymore, and I have freedoms in Christ. He'd say, well, they distort Christian liberty to say, well, you know what? You can do really whatever you want to do. God will forgive you for it. You know, he forgave you for some of your sins, so he'll forgive you for just any sin that you do. And so, therefore, they would just trample on the grace of, of Christ and say, you can do whatever you want to do. Now, you see how those two lines of thinking uh, would go against uh, Christian teaching and what God has laid out for us. We know from the Scriptures that those who make a habit of sin are not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. For example, the Apostle John said, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who's been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. And those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them, so they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Now, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? I remember one day uh, having a man in, in one of the churches I served come up to me because he'd been reading in 1 John, and he was in the King James Version where it says, if you sin, you're not a Christian. And what he didn't realize is that in the, uh, uh, the King James was translated from the Latin Vulgate, and it missed that little part where it says, he who makes a practice of sin. He who in his life makes a practice of sinning is not of God. And so how relieved he was to find out what the Bible actually said about it. But the truth remains, you cannot continue to practice sin uh, with little regard for anything else and be a Christian. Because that basically means that either you're in rebellion against God for a season of your life and you need to repent of your sin or you're not his to begin with. If someone claims to be a Christian, they live in habitual sin, there's a good chance they're not Christians at all. And with these things in mind, Paul gives three identifiers, things to look for in order to discern those he calls enemies of the cross. What does he say? about these enemies of the cross. First, he says their God is self. He says their God is their belly. Now, you know, uh, I like to eat and you like to eat, I'm sure. So surely it can't be all about that, can it? I think basically what he's saying is those who serve and live to serve the appetites of the flesh or whatever those things be. It's not just talking about somebody who likes to eat too much but someone who likes to feed their physical desires. Now, for those of you who are older, uh, who uh, grew up in the 60s and 70s, you'll remember, uh, Debbie, you're a musician, you know that a lot of those songs had the word feel and feeling in them. And it was all about the, the theme was, if it feels good, do it. Okay, If it feels good, do it. Uh, there was even a song that they played on the radio incessantly. I thought they would never stop playing that song called Feelings. You remember that one? Feelings, whoa, 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 feelings. And it just was all about how you feel and how things make you feel. And you know, the truth of the matter is our, our clothing styles might have changed some. The bell bottoms went away. Praise God they went away. And some of the hairdos. But you know, not a lot has changed when it comes to serving 
our own appetites. But those who continually feed this, uh, if it feels good, do it scenario, they're really buying into that. It's not going to matter. Secondly, he says their glory is their shame. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, basically what he means is they're even prideful over things that they ought to be shameful about. They're prideful over things that are shameful. And, of course, we see that playing out every day in our lives, don't we? There's so many things today that we used to think of as shameful, but our society at large uh, thinks they're okay now. Think back with me for a moment. 60, 70 years ago, why it was shameful to have an abortion or to think about having an abortion. But boy, in 1973, when the law changed, people's minds changed. And they said, well, it's legal. Well, the question is, is it moral? And of course, we saw a proliferation of that. 50 years ago, homosexuality was considered shameful. And it, though it did exist, it, it, on a very uh, small level, it was all uh, behind closed doors. No one would dare say anything about that. It was shameful. Today, it's bragged about. Today, we have parades for it. Special days set aside for it. Years ago, being caught up in some kind of fraud or scandal was shameful. Getting caught up in some greedy scam uh, some criminal activity or fraud uh, was shameful. And today we see large corporations that will restructure. They will go to court, they will restructure, get a slap on the wrist for whatever they did, and thousands of people will lose their pensions. And then they'll reopen back up and they'll start their same business again. And they'll say, it's okay, it was legal. Uh, the government made it, helped me make it happen. But let me ask you the question, is it moral? Is it moral for those who least can afford it to have their retirement stole from them so a company can restructure? But this is a society that we live in. This is a society we live in. Shameful. In our world, premarital sex is the norm. Many people just lived together, but before it was shameful. No one would have ever thought of doing that. And of course, the list could go on. And thirdly, he says, if these pretenders, their minds are on earthly stuff. They set their minds on earthly things. It's very closely tied with professing a professing Christian seeking to meet their own appetites. Some live for fame, some live for fortune, and some simply just to fulfill their desires. All these things can be provided if a person uh, puts their mind and their efforts toward fulfilling these desires. James said that to do this is to be a friend of the world, a sure sign that you're not his. James 4.4 4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And John said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So these writers of the New Testament are not letting us off the hook. 
You're either a, a citizen of heaven or you're not. And Paul says two things are true of those who teach and practice these things. Number one, they are enemies of the cross. Now, here's the sad thing. A lot of people who live this way would never, ever think of themselves as an enemy of the cross. They just wouldn't do it. Rather, they would point out to certain good qualities in their lives and kind of sweep the other things under the rug. Why? Why are they enemies of the cross? Because they've forsaken Christ and his commands in order to meet their own needs or their perceived needs. And today their leaders preach another way except through Christ to become a heavenly citizen. You listen sometimes about what's emphasized. A lot of talk about getting into God's favor, about how God wants to bless you with lots of stuff, okay? And a lot of justification made for getting up and preaching in a $2,000 suit and a $1,300 shoes. And it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder how that's even possible. How, can, how could someone have so little value for those in need and then get up and, and do that? It makes me wonder. Sacraments of the church and good works are shown as the way to get in favor with God. But I want you to know Jesus is the only way. And what is the end of those who live this way? Paul says their end is destruction. And the Bible describes that in so many different ways. It's, it's the, the term Sheol is used. Uh, Jesus talked about Gehenna, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. For one day there will be some who claim to know him and he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Paul says their end is destruction. And he describes them specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear. Pretty wide ranging. Remember, there were those in Paul's day as in ours who participated in all of their worldly pursuits and claimed to be good Christians. No matter how much you say you're a Christian, how you live, the things that you say are going to reveal the truth. A person either is a citizen of heaven or they're not. They've trusted Jesus Christ and they follow him or they don't. It's pretty cut and dried. In his novel, A Painted House, John Grisham tells of a Sunday school teacher eulogizing a mean character named Jerry Sisko. Sisko had been killed the night before. He picked on one guy too many, and he was killed. And the Sunday school teacher was eulogizing the good things 
about old Jerry Sisko. And there's a little boy in the novel who had seen the fight with his friend Dwayne. And he gives his take on the teacher's faulty description of Jerry Sisko. Little boy says, she made Jerry sound like a Christian, an innocent victim. I glanced at Dwayne, who had one eye on me. There was something odd about this. As Baptists, we've been taught from the cradle that the only way you made it to heaven was by believing in Jesus and trying to follow his example and living a clean and moral Christian life. And anyone who did not accept Jesus and live as a Christian life simply went to hell. That's where Jerry Sisko was, and we all knew it. You know, I think in many ways that, that kind of sums it up. You can't pull the, the wool over the eyes of a child. I mean, they, just, they can just sniff it out, okay? They can sniff out the poser and the pretender. Proclaiming to be a, a citizen of heaven is one thing, but being one is evident in your life. It matters not how many good things you do. It matters not how many good things are said at your graveside one day. It's what's really on the inside that's going to count. And Paul contrasts heaven's enemies with real heavenly citizenship. And his reference to one's citizenship would have struck right at home for those who were in the church there at Philippi. Because Philippi was set up as a little colony. It was sort of like an outpost of the Roman Empire. And when you went there, it was like little Rome. The dress was Roman. Uh, the language was Roman, Latin. Uh, the customs were Roman. It'd be like going to Rome in miniature. And if you look at the architecture, uh, the ruins of the place, it's very Roman in its, in its, its buildings. And they would have understood what it meant like to live out far away somewhere and be a citizen of another place a citizen of the real Roman. And he's going to con contrast that. One's citizenship being heavenly citizenship. Paul's point was to them and to us is though you live on planet earth, you're citizens of a heavenly place. And so therefore that's going to make a difference in your life. How are they different? There are certain things that are true of a Christian. One is their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. When a person uh, repents of their sin, they turn away from their sin, and they put their faith in Christ alone, the Bible tells us their names are written down in heaven. And it'll be there, written down in heaven. Jesus says when you profess his name on earth, he professes your name in heaven. And if you're ashamed of him on earth, he'll be ashamed of you in heaven before the Father. That's a bad place to be, isn't it? When Jesus sent out his disciples in pairs to go and do ministry, they came back rejoicing. Uh, they said, even the, the demons uh, listen to us when we speak. He says, rejoice not that the spirits obey you, but that your names are written down in heaven. 
And that Greek word that's translated written there means once and for all, permanent. I don't know about you, but I find assurance in that. Knowing that my name is there in the book. A permanent, eternal record. Another truth is they learn to speak heaven's language. What are you talking about, heaven's language? Well, I'm not talking about Christianese, okay? You know, some people wonder what we're talking about. We're talking to another Christian. We start talking about uh, certain Christian terms that they don't understand. Heaven's language has things that are missing from all languages. For there's no hateful words uttered there. No profanity. No unseemly things are talked about. No slander. No gossip. It's heavenly language. All you have to do is sometimes just pull back and think about the things that you said during the day. And, and ask yourself the question, do, do I sound like I'm from heaven or from somewhere else? Jesus said it actually flows from inside you. You don't have to conjure it up. What comes out is going to be a result of what's on the inside. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. Can you imagine that? Every idle word. Makes you want to be careful, doesn't it? What you say. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Paul told the Colossians, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. You know what the truth of the matter is? Most likely is that we need to spend some time in confession after this service. When we have our invitation in just a little while, we ought to be confessing some of the things that we said the prior week. And I think sometimes what happens is we just kind of blow it off and act like it's not important. But let me ask you a question. Do you think that Jesus thinks it's important based on what we just read? I think, I think he, he takes it very important. And he's really concerned about it. You know why? Because it affects our witness. It affects our witness. He says, let your conversations draw people toward God. What do you talk about? Are your words free of profanity? Are they free of slander? Are they free of gossip? Uh, do you run down other people? Do you run down other Christians? That's a serious, serious violation of what God has said is good. A third thing that's true of a Christian, a citizen of heaven, is they obey heaven's laws. And we're not talking about some legalistic set of rules and rituals. We're not trying to transport you back to the Old Testament where you have to follow all these rules and, and regulations. But what you do need to do is fall in line with the law of love. The Bible says love covers over a multitude of sins. And it says love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, though the Supreme Court decides something's legal, 
like marriage between two guys or two girls? You and I know as citizens of the kingdom of heaven that a real marriage is between one man and one woman till death do they part. And that'll never change. We obey heaven's law. Fourthly, they're loyal to heaven's cause. What is heaven's cause? To glorify God by obeying him. What did Jesus say to do just before he left earth? Go therefore and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. That's heaven's cause. And the cross of Christ is central to the gospel message. You know, when I first came here, um, I was using a black music stand to preach behind. That really bothered some people, right? Because I didn't want to be preaching behind a behemoth pulpit. And so I asked uh, someone to build this, this pulpit. The very first church I was called to, someone in the church had built a pulpit in the shape of a cross out of mesquite wood. Now, the man who built it didn't realize he was allergic to mesquite, but it was a beautiful pulpit. And it reminded me of the central message of the preacher. And so when I see this, when I stand behind this, it reminds me of the central message of a Christian is Christ and him crucified. Christ and him crucified. Without that message, we're all hopelessly lost. And I think, I hope that it reminds you of that. Don't ever let me get in the way of this right here. Because this is what it's all about. It's about Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross and the difference that it makes. We're loyal to heaven's cross, cause. And then finally, they're looking forward to heaven's Lord. You know, for years, we sang hymns. And there were so many hymns that were written about Jesus' return. And today, it seems that nobody's really too worried about that. They're too busy having fun. Oh, Netflix just got a new special. Paramount just got this. It's just all about every other kind of thing in the world. But it really ought to be about him. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. And as Paul approached the end of his life, as he's there in prison, not for sure if he'll get out or not, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Now, Paul had been beaten many times. He had been shipwrecked. He had been scourged. I mean, this guy, he was beat up. You ever feel beat up? Don't you look forward to that day of transformation? when your body's going to be changed in a twinkling of an eye and you're going to have a body like Jesus that'll never die, never get tired, never wear out. Praise God, I'm looking forward to that day. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. I'm nearly 60. This In March, I'll be, uh, in the middle of March, I'll be 60. And I don't know how many days we'll have after that. But I tell you, I'm more convinced now than ever that we need to be serving him with everything that we are whatever that looks like.
Now, the truth of the matter is, none of us do it perfectly, right? We are all in this together. But we ought to be encouraging each other toward that, toward this. I wonder today, are you certain, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? You can be. You can be. To come to him with a whole heart and to confess your sin to him, admit your sin to Jesus, and pray and ask him to forgive you and to turn away from that sin as best you can. His Holy Spirit will take over from there and help you do the rest. That's real salvation when it begins to affect your life, change you, mold you into something different, make you a new creation. Do you know him? Before we go this morning, we're going to have an invitation. Miss Debbie's going to come. She's going to play. And just bow your head where you are right now. And just spend a few moments with God. What's God saying to you? Is there any kind of doubt in your mind? Maybe you're watching at home. And you say, well, preacher, I'm unsure. I'm not really sure. Why don't you just bow your head where you are. And just come to him and say, dear Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. I've not lived the kind of life that I should. Forgive me. I believe you died for me, that you died for my sins, that you were buried and you rose again, and I want to follow you. Help me follow you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. That's called a sinner's prayer. Jesus hears that sinner's prayer. He forgives you. And you come into his family and his Holy Spirit comes to take residence in your life. And he gives you the power to overcome sin in your life. And you should make that public. Make it public. Let people know that you've made that decision. We're going to stand to our feet. If you've trusted Jesus for the first time, come right on forward right now. If you need to come and do some confession time, you to do it there in your pew or you can come down to the altar. If you need somebody to pray with you, there'll be somebody here as we, as Debbie and, and these sing. Miss Debbie, will you lead us? What's God saying to you? Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I fall.
talk to somebody. Uh, I'm available. There are others available. 24-7. I'm pretty sure my phone number is on that bulletin. You can call me anytime. We'll talk about it. Amen? Amen. God is so good to us. But we always go forth singing. Would you, would you lead us, Debbie? Yes, we have a, a prayer this morning. We have uh, lots of people that are here this morning that have very special needs. We need to pay, pray for Tori's grandfather is uh, fixing to visit Jesus. We need to pray for the Hudsons this morning. There's a mother that's close to visiting Jesus. I'm a little jealous. <laughs> so let's pray for them, and then let's sing this chorus one more time. Dear Jesus, Father, we ask you to comfort to be with those that are in pain, relieve their pain, and let them open heaven's doors to them. And for those that are still here, Father, let us have faith and know that they're with you and know that they're waiting on us. We thank you for that. In their precious name we pray. 